0: This is the people in their work podcast. I am professor Doug Gardner in the student leadership and success studies department at Utah Valley university. In this podcast, you will hear the first person stories of people journeying through their education, work, and career decision-making. In this episode of the people in Their work podcast, we will hear from Jerry Pallotta, a nonfiction children's author from Boston, Massachusetts. Jerry and I had the opportunity to sit down and talk during his visit to the Utah Valley University Love of Reading Conference. This is Jerry's story of how he became a best-selling author. I went to Georgetown University. Uh, When I graduated, the insurance companies were hiring people to sell retirement plans because it was like new congressional legislation. So all of a sudden, me and all my buddies were hired to sell insurance, sell retirement plans. I started doing that. Then I got married, then I had four kids in six years. And while I was re- I was reading to my children, so my career really started from reading to my children. My wife made me read to my kids, and that's how it started. So I was reading children's books. Now, I would say prior to that, I never wrote anything, really. I was too, uh, not embarrassed, embarrassed, I guess, to write anything. I, I wouldn't take a risk like that, to write something. So I wasn't a writer by the time You know, I was 32 years old when I, in my head, decided I would try to write a children's book. So I got the idea from reading to my kids. That's that's how it all started. So I grew up at the ocean. I wrote a book called The Ocean Alphabet Book. I looked around, never saw a book about the ocean for kids. I decided that's what I would do. It sold really well. You know, I printed it myself. So I bought the paper. I bought the press time at the press. My brother was actually selling printing, so we, we knew, in the family, we knew a little bit about printing. I decided I'll print my own book. So I printed my own book, and I made up the name of a publishing company. And I started selling them at aquariums all over the country. So I established a business, wrote a book on the ocean, started selling them around the country. And I would say at the peak of that, I might have been selling, might have been, might have had 100000 a year in sales from selling the Ocean Alphabet. The bird alphabet, the icky bug alphabet, and the reptile alphabet, I, those were the first floor. Then I did a flower book. That's how I got started. I self-published and I sold the books really out of the trunk of my car or on the phone to gift shops, bookstores, any bookstore I could think of, aquariums, museums. That's how I started. Now, after doing that and having kids in diapers and everything, I realized I can't do this. It's too much. And I realized what a publisher was. And a publisher is someone who takes the risk, pays for the printing, has reps around the country to sell the books. I'm only one guy. I mean, how many people could I call on? So the ideal thing would be to get a publisher with lots of reps, and then they would sell my books. And I agonized for a whole year giving up the rights to my books. But I eventually gave them to a small publisher called Charlesbridge Publishing. Charlesbridge, the first few years, they let me do like a couple books a year the first few years, we were up to doing about a million in sales through them, not because of me, but through them, because they had reps everywhere. And that's how my career started. But I will say this, when I, after about five years, I realized I could feel it when I visited schools and when I talked to teachers that the books were really popular and the books fit in the curriculum and fit in the classroom, and I decided, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do this full time. I had, I had the faith that it would work because when I went to schools, the kids loved the books, the parents loved the books, the kids loved the books. I quit my other job after, well, it was after 15 years, but it was about after five years of writing books. So after five years of writing books and self-publishing, I'm on my own. Now, I was lucky in that it became faddish in America to visit schools around the country and get paid for it. So an author could have books that are a commercial failure, but they could still make a living visiting schools and talking to kids. Schools were hiring us to encourage kids to write their own books and read books and that's how I got started. I started visiting schools, I kept writing books. I now had a publisher back in me. And and that's that's what happened. Now, I was lucky in that the country switched to nonfiction. So the country at one time taught things through textbooks and basils and all that stuff so now they were using children's literature if you wanted to read about birds you could get a bird literature book I had a bird book if you had a butterfly unit if the teacher had a butterfly unit they could get my butterfly book and use it in the classroom and I kept writing nonfiction books one of the things I did was I didn't want to do fads and I didn't want to do like events like say the Statue of Liberty's birthday. I didn't want to write a Statue of Liberty book. I wanted a book that was good for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever. So I was really in it for a long, I was in for the long thing. I wanted books that were timeless. So I concentrated on nonfiction, timeless books. For instance, an elephant will always be an elephant, and it's not going to it's not gonna go away. Even if they become extinct, you'd still read about them, and you'd still write about them, and you'd still talk about them. I'll see him in the movies or whatever. So I wanted to do books like that. I didn't really want to do whatever the latest craze was. So I kept working on nonfiction stuff. And that's that's how I got going. I'm 66 years old. I started when I was 32. That's 34 years ago. I have about between 95 and 100 books. I haven't counted recently. So between 95 and 100 books, almost every one of them is in print, which is really good. I made a decision to hire the best illustrators I could hire. So that would say, I would say that was decision number one that was really good because I could have used black and white fo- I, I could have used photos. I noticed reading to my kids they didn't like photos. I can't explain why. You could have the most beautiful book on the moon or on spaceships or on monsters and they have photographs, and the kids didn't really care about them. But when they were illustrated, there was something about the charm of it the kids liked better. So I, I hired the best illustrators I could full-color illustration. I tried to have the best printing I could. If I had gone black and white, my career might not be where it is, you know? So fun to read, full of facts, beautifully illustrated, children's timeless literature is what I had in mind. That was one good decision, have beautiful illustrators. The next one was I decided to treat my job like a full-time job. A lot of authors, they write a few books and they think it's just going to happen. And... I didn't really think that. I decided I had to work full time. So I visited as many schools as I could. So I was writing books, and I was visiting schools, and I was getting a royalty and in advance, and I was getting a speaking fee when I spoke at schools. The third thing I did was I sold books wherever I went. Wherever I went, I brought books with me, and I sold books. So I had like a third little income-producing thing of selling books. And I, I averaged selling about maybe $150,000 worth a year, which meant like a maybe a $50,000 profit. I could tell your students this. In the last 20 years, I've made about $400,000 a year for the last 20 years. And I sort of lived like a ball player. I was going from Clive, Iowa to Union, Pennsylvania to... Um, Rock Hill, South Carolina, like wherever I was invited to do schools. I treated it like a full-time job. I tried to have really beautiful illustrators. I would do anything I could to promote my books. So how many have I sold? Over, I've sold over 20 million books, and I have have about 100 titles. I really like my career, and I would encourage anyone to try to do it. I feel that if you have a creative idea, you'll find a publisher for it. And if you just have a run-of-the-mill idea that's already been done 50 times, then, then you'll have a tough time getting it published. And, of course, some subjects are more saleable than other subjects. And we always play that game of what's best to make money and what's best for the kids, and it's, it's a tough one. You know, like I wrote a book, Spices and Flavors, A through Z of Spices and Flavors. And that, that's sort of a tough subject, but I thought it was a great book for kids to have. Kids don't know where cola comes from they don't know where mustard comes from they don't know where chocolate coffee right cinnamon where it comes from but it's not a great selling book you know so we're always like we have to sell books to keep it all going but we but we want to write books that that are great for the kids to read so we sort of walk in that line but that's what I was doing I was in a different place every day meaning geographically almost in a different place not every day but in the school year I was doing over 100 days a year in schools you know I've been to 4000 schools if I was to look back at my career I've been to 4000 schools I've probably been to 400 conferences like today I'm at a conference at the Utah Valley University for the Love Reading Conference and I've probably done 400 of these conferences you know I I think I have spoken in every state yeah Like I said, I treated it like a full-time job. I tried to promote myself as best I could, and uh, it seemed to work. I think some people are natural writers, maybe, and I found it really hard to write the books. But I found it not easy, but I found it I was very good at thinking of creative ideas. Like if someone said to me, what's your skill? I would say creative ideas and the ability to think like an eight-year-old. Like I've been asked that recently by a lot of people, even really wealthy people they go well what's your skill you know because and i just say i can think like an eight-year-old and i can think of creative ideas that would get kids to read books i would say that was it my kids are all grown now i'm still working you know i don't see any reason not to work so i'm still working and uh, still trying to think of really cute ideas that i could put into a book form I'm driving down the highway with my daughter she's about eight years old and I see a dead skunk on the highway and I immediately thought of a Christmas book of hooking skunks up to the sleigh instead of reindeer and I wrote a book called who'll guide my sleigh tonight and it goes he tries kangaroos he tries skunks he tries you know bears he tries um, well he, he tries all these different animals to pull the sleigh like he tries tigers he tries bunnies the book goes like that. He tries rhinoceroses, and then what happens. So that book came from me seeing a dead skunk on the highway. So I can't really explain that to you. The Who Would Win books, I thought of when I was stuck in an airport for five hours because of thunderstorms. And I I was mad. I mean, to be stuck in an airport for five hours, I was mad. But then I decided not to be mad, you know? So I've always tried to have a positive attitude. So um, maybe after an hour of being mad, I sat down, and I thought, I'm going to think of some book. So I thought of the difference between a killer whale and a great white shark, You know, horizontal tail, vertical tail, conical teeth, triangular teeth. Uh, one's a mammal, one's a fish. You know, I thought of that, and I pieced it all together. That's how I thought of that book, that, a creative idea for that. And then there's a lot of alphabet books now. I started writing outfit books. No one else was doing nonfiction thematic outfit books, say, 30 years ago. I started doing that. Then all of a sudden, everybody was doing them. So then I thought, ah, oh, I, I got to think of something really creative. I can't just do a, a book like all these other people are doing. So I thought of eyeballs, I thought of skulls, like something really off the wall that kids would love to read. I would say that I had a creative idea and I pursued it and I got good illustrators, and I kept working. I think the most surprising would be, I mean, I'm from Boston. Let's say I go to a school in, I don't know, Arizona, and the kids there are writing books based on my books, and that would be a very, I was very surprised at that, that they would use them as models in the classroom. It's really interesting because I'm with five authors having dinner, and I'm the only one that can read the royalty statements, and it's because I took statistics and business classes in college, and they didn't. So I was showing them how to read their royalty statements. You know, like, I can't explain it, but it's like foreign rights, you know, um, club sub-rights, Canadian rights. Like, I was showing them all the different ways they were getting their royalty check. And I thought it came to me because I had taken all those classes in college So I was in business school in college, which really helped me when I self-published. So I would say, I once said to someone, oh, you want to write children's books? Well, sell insurance for 10 years, then you'll be miserable, then uh, then then you'll try to get out of it, and you'll write a children's book. But I was being sarcastic. But it's sort of what happened to me. But being an insurance guy, I learned how to talk to people, and I learned how to see if I was making a profit and see what would be the best way to print the books and all that sort of stuff. So my business background helped me from the business side of publishing. In researching the books, I, I would thank my high school teachers who taught me to be a lifelong learner or a, life, a lifelong reader. But I will admit that I was never a re- serious reader until I was 26 years old. So there's hope for all you kids out there. I don't know what it had to do with being 26 years old, but when I was 26 on, I read a book every week I would say a lot of the things I read inspired books that I wrote or books that I wrote or ideas I had for books or things that I could do to promote my books. It was from being a reader. In fact, I will say this for any of you out there that want to become writers. Every writer I've met is a a serious reader. I don't think I've ever met a writer who wasn't just a voracious reader. So I would put myself in that category. I will say something else to, to you kids. I goofed off as much as anybody. I was on disciplinary probation three out of four years at Georgetown University when I was there as a student. When, it became, when I had kids and I was working, when all my friends went to the Cape, I didn't go. I was working on my books. When all my friends went drinking on Friday night, I didn't go. I was editing my books, or I was packing books, or I was shipping books, or trying to find new places to sell my books. And when everyone was, you know, partying, I was wor- I was working on my books. I would say that that I that I took my job seriously and I worked at it full time and uh I still had a blast. If you love your work, it's really not work. It's like every day is a fun day. You go and you you work on your stuff. I get hundreds of letters and if you go on YouTube, you can punch up Jerry Pilata's fan mail Sundays. Fan mail Sundays and you can see me read some of the fan mail. And uh I've ha- I've I've gotten great fan mail. I've had kids tell me I don't know what I'm doing, you shouldn't be writing books. I've had kids tell me um, I got things wrong, or I spelled words wrong, or a kid told me he wants me to write a book of his dad fighting a chimp. So I thought that was really funny. And another kid wrote me a letter saying, if you read, say, say you read Hammerhead versus Bullshark, there's no blood in the book at all. They fight, but it just says they fight. And they're next to each other. There's there's no flesh ripped open. There's no guts hanging. There's none of that stuff. We wouldn't put th- we wouldn't put that in the books, right? So I got a letter from a kid. It was his book report he did for his teacher, and it said, "Dear Jerry plauta I love this book, Hammerhead versus Bull Shark. There's blood and guts everywhere. There's nothing like that in the book. It was it. It must have been his imagination. There's a few of them, but I get great ideas from kids, you know." Why don't you write Godzilla versus Spider-Man? Why don't you write Apple versus Orange? Why don't you write Cheeseburger versus Hot Dog? I mean, I get I get great letters from kids. I am Doug Gardner, and this has been the People and Their Work podcast. Music by Christopher Weiss. Images are from the UVU Roots of Knowledge stained glass exhibit by Holdman Studios.